All right. Um, so we've been talking about the apostolic and um, we've been talking about what that means. We've been talking about what it means to be apostolic and what it means to be prophetic. Um, and last week, I taught last week and we talked about the children of Israel and Moses and um, we talked about how they dealt with suffering. We talked about how they um, dealt with miracles, signs and wonders. Um, we also made a comparison to how Jesus dealt with suffering and how he dealt with miracles, signs and wonders. And um, we, we talked about it in order to expound on the point that apostle made by saying the apostolic is not spoiled by miracles, signs and wonders. Um, and so I just wanted to go through like a couple scriptures um, to remind us of what we talked about last week. And then I'll go into the point that I would like to make um, for this week. And it has a lot to do with um, Noah and, you know, the ark. And a lot of that stuff is still fresh from my mind from this weekend, of course. And sidebar, um, I really want to encourage you guys to go to, to see the ARC replica because it is amazing. It is built with excellence. It, it's very detailed. Um, they were able to replicate things that you don't even think about when you read the scriptures, but they brought it to life. So um, whenever we do go again, I want to encourage everybody to, to join us on that trip. It was a lot of fun. It was it was it was eye-opening. It was just good. It was good. It was made with excellence. Um, but so we'll talk about that a little later um, towards the end of my teaching, but I just want to do a quick recap on what I talked about last on Tuesday. So um, we talked about like all the miracles that God did for the children of, children of Israel to prove himself to them, to show a distinction um, to them that they were, that they were his people. Um, and in Exodus chapter 14, we read about how God parted, you know, the Red Sea for the children of Israel. And this is something that I didn't mention, but I want to bring it to light this today. Exodus 15 verse 20 states, then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song. So this happened right after they, they, um, God parted the Red Sea for them. They they made it through the other side. So everyone is on a spiritual high, basically. They're all excited. They're all singing God's praises. They're like, oh, God, you are so good. Um, Miriam sang the song, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed. And gloriously, he has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Then... Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? They complained. So the reason why I brought this scripture up um, today is because there were God had parted the Red Sea a few days before, like, and I know I, I talked about it last Tuesday, but I guess I, I want to make it clear that this is not something that happened months before. This is not something that happened years before, but 
days after God did that huge miracle of parting an entire body of water for the the children of Israelites to be able to go through, they were complaining. A few days later, three days, you guys, they were, and they were already complaining. They were grumbling. It, but it's like two scriptures back, you guys were just singing God's praises. You got, guys were just, you know, dancing and playing tambourines. And now you're complaining. If the God who parted the Red Sea for you five days ago could do that for you guys to be able to escape, why is it that now you you're faced with an obstacle and it's it's almost as if God did nothing but God was showing out left and right he he was pulling out all the stops you know um but it at the end it wasn't enough and I also wanted to um bring up the the fact that the journey that took weeks that should have taken weeks, took years, but they camped out at a lot of places. So they weren't moving the entire 40 years. They camped out at different places. Sometimes they spent weeks at different locations. Sometimes they spent years at different locations. They camped out a lot. So they weren't moving forward the entire time. And I, and I think that's, that's also what prolonged that journey. So, um, the next scripture that I wanted, wanted to read was in Exodus 14, starting at verse 10. Um, this is right, this happened, I believe this is before um, the Red Sea. This is right after, this is right after um, they had left, right? So it says, verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, so they, they're leaving and Pharaoh and his army is after them. The Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. In verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Did y'all did y'all hear that? <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, "Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water, so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry dry ground." And this is one of the points that we made. On Tuesday, you have to do what you know to do. We cannot mope around anymore. We cannot wait around anymore and search for answers in the sky. And this is similar to what Jesus told the man at the pool of Bethesda. He said, pick up your staff and walk, pick up your mat, excuse me, and walk. And what I want to encourage you with tonight is exactly, Apostle Pam, use what you have. What do you have in your hand? What has God given you already? Whatever it is, you got to use it. 
Use what God gave you to move forward. Stop waiting for another wind. Stop waiting for another cloud. Stop waiting for another movement. Use what you have. Use what you have. And yes, use it from where you are. Wherever you are right now, use what you have. We, we said, another thing that we said last Tuesday was that God controls the harvest. We don't know what seed we plant that will reap a harvest or when, we, we don't know when, we don't know which, which one, how, but do it anyway. Plant your seed, put your seed in the ground in anyway. We talked about how in comparison um, from the, the Moses and the tr- children of Israelites, Jesus, on the other hand, he made up his mind to endure the crucifixion because he was focused on the end game. He learned obedience just like we have to learn obedience today. We can't be moved by what we see. We can't allow emotions to deter us off of our path, off of our purpose. We can't allow emotions to keep us from reaching the end game. And one of the things that became clear to me this weekend, and I told Apostle Teresa this, was that I believe Noah was apostolic. And I just want to talk about a few reasons why. And afterwards, I would really love for us to have a discussion about what that means in your life and how we can apply apostolic principles in our life, how we can have an apostolic posture in our lives and from the day-to-day things, not um, just about like grand plans that we may have, but just the day-to-day things, what God is calling you to do, how we can have an apostolic posture. So um, Noah, everybody knows the story of Noah, but there are certain things, certain details that I obviously I missed out on um, in Sunday school <laughs> when I learned about um, Noah and the flood. So um, re- religious scholars, they estimate that it may have taken Noah several decades to build the ark. This wasn't something that he did over time, depending on which um, reference that you're looking at, the time span that it took, it could vary. But um, I read it could have taken 55 years. Some people say it might have taken 75 years. So it just depends on um, which scholarly text that you, you may be looking at. But the point is, it took a long time. And um, for some of us, you know, back then, I understand that people were living um, up to, you know, 900 years old, but 55 to 75 years, for some of us, that's a lifetime. That's an entire lifetime to spend doing something and you don't see the, the, the fruit of it. You don't see the purpose of it yet. And, you know, I thought about, you know, like, did God do that on purpose? Did he intentionally allow people during that time to live that long so that years later when people are only living to be 100, 120 years old, so that when we look at Noah, we can see, wow, he spent a good portion of his life building and preparing for an unseen danger. And we're able to compare that to us spending a lifetime, perhaps working on a goal, working on, you know, a calling or building a church or whatever it is that God has called you to do. That's a good reference point because that's a lot of time. So during this 55 to 75 years, we're going to go with that, right? Scripture doesn't tell us if people mocked him because he was, he was building um, the ark 
in a, on a high place. So it, it, people could have saw him, people, you know, in the area, they could have saw what he was building. Even the people in his own family, they could have doubted him. They could have mocked him. They could have scoffed at him. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but we can only imagine, right? That you spend 55 years building something and still know the, where, where's this flood that you said was going to happen. Um, scripture also doesn't tell us if God kept reminding him, this was a big one for me. If, if God kept reminding him about the ark, it didn't say that, you know, God told him to build the ark and then he had dream after dream after dream after dream <laughs> to remind him to build this ark. It didn't say that God had to send a prophet to be like, remember that ark that you're supposed to be building? It didn't say that. He didn't have to get another prophetic word as a reminder. It didn't say he kept receiving like instructions about this little bit. It just, it, the Bible just says, God told him one time and that was it. That was it. So unlike us today, we need so much motivation. We need so much reminders. We need so, so like, like push from the outside as opposed to being intrinsically motivated. I believe to be apostolic is to be intrinsically motivated because you know from the inside, you know from the depths of you what you're supposed to be doing, what God has told you, and you're committed to that. So that that blew me away. Then the timing, right? So Noah, Noah was, of course, in the boats for 40 days and 40 nights that it rained. Then it says, he was still in there for the 150 days that the water still covered the earth. And this is according to Genesis chapter seven, verse 24. Then scripture tells us that it took another four months for the water to come down before, you know, uh, Noah could see dry ground. Um, then it says it took another two months before God actually told him to leave the ark. So altogether, he was in the ark for over a year. So to prepare to be in the ark for, a, for over a year, that means that he had to make sure he stored enough food for eight people for over a year. He had to store enough food for hundreds of animals if not thousands i don't know but for all these animals to eat for over a year do you know how much planning that had to take i was like when i when i visited the ark and i saw all the different areas for the different types of species the different like this area was for the reptiles and the amphibians and i i get it all that all that detail is not in scripture but it does say um that he that god told him to build rooms and and i forgot the, the exact wording but different areas for the different types of of animals that were gonna going to be there it said rooms and cages and stalls so he had to prepare for all of that and get this after he built the ark the animals came on their own 
He didn't worry about how he was gonna get these animals. He didn't. He didn't think. Well, how am I supposed to get a giraffe in this ark? How am I supposed to get a donkey in this ark? You know, donkeys don't listen, God. How am I supposed to get a, a pig in this? Ark? He didn't worry about all <laughs> everything that could could go wrong. He didn't worry about that. He didn't let that stop him. And I feel like a lot of times God tells us to do something, and we're doubting the entire way there like okay God told me to write a book well I don't have a publishing company yet or what am write the book do do that step you know get that out the way because after he built the ark the animals came on their own God led the animals to him he let he did that part so all Noah had to do was get the ark built and God took care of the of the rest but he had to do his part. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? The reason why I brought up this scripture is because I also believe being apostolic requires you to plan, to have goals, to live life intentionally. I know that there are some scriptures that um, the one scripture that comes to mind, it's in Proverbs and it says, many are the plans of man, but it is the will of God that prevails. So some people use that as a reason to not have any plans or, you know, to not have any aspirations in life, to not have any goals, to not have any desires because God's just going to do what he wants. And like, I, I understand that sentiment, but that's not the case because First, we are collab laborers with Christ. We are partners with Christ. So the work that we do here on earth, we're partnering with Christ. We're partnering with God to get that, to get the, his will accomplished on this earth. We're not, we're on assignment. So whatever we're doing, we're doing it to accomplish the will of God on this earth. Amos chapter three, verse seven to eight says, God does nothing in the earth unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And while we are no longer under the old covenant, there isn't one prophet for a nation. Now there are many prophets. Um, his spirit is, is in us. He can reveal those secrets to us directly. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse three says, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. I believe, and this is something that I've actually done. So when I say I believe, I'm not just saying it just to say it. This is actually something that I've done. I believe that you can pray you can meditate and reflect on God's word on what his will is for your life and he will tell you. I don't think that we're supposed to live life in 
oblivion. This is my proof. Psalm chapter 37 verse 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This scripture does not mean that whatever you want, you'll have. If you, you know, I want a hot air balloon, I'm going to get a hot air balloon. I want a boat, I'm going to get a boat. That's not what that scripture means. But that scripture means that when you delight in the Lord, when you delight in righteousness, when your heart is for him, God will place desires in your heart. So those dreams that you have, those goals that you want to accomplish, God put them there. They came from him. When your heart is for him, he will give you those desires. He will give you a vision. He will give you plans and goals and dreams. They come from him. Isaiah chapter 32, verse eight states, but the noble make noble plans and by noble deeds, they stand. The last thing that I want to share tonight is from the book of Habakkuk. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but in Habakkuk, we, we learn about um, the time where Israel is being ruled by an evil king and they're being overtaken by um, the nation of Babylon. And Habakkuk is a, is a prophet and he's crying out to God on behalf of his people. So um, he's saying, you know, God, have you forgotten about your, your children? You know, you're allowing this other nation who's even more wicked to take over us. Have you forgotten about us? you know, he's, he's questioning God. He's asking God, like, what's going on? And so that happens in, um, Habakkuk chapter one. And then in Habakkuk chapter two, God replies to him. He gives him an answer. And he says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And a lot of times we quote that scripture, you know, write the vision and make it plain. We say it to mean like we're about to manifest and, you know, make magic happen. Like because we wrote down a goal, like it's, it's going to happen. I'm putting it out in the atmosphere, I'm, you know, and to a certain extent, I do believe um, that, you know, physically writing down a goal, that there's power in that, being able to see it and, and pray about it. I, I do I do believe that to a certain extent, but I also think that that verse is telling us to, to in, like to, to make the vision clear or make the plan clear, but to remind us of the end game, to re remind us during those moments of uncertainty or during those moments where things are not going according to plan, you know, during those moments where you're doubting to remind you that, hey, this is what we're working towards. And the scripture tells us it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It won't delay. And I believe that that verse it's supposed to, you know, remind us of the vision, remind us of the end game. And as we talked about last Tuesday and, you know, some of the other services, that end game, you know, Jesus kept that, that end game in mind so that during the time of leading up to the crucifixion, 
he had to remind himself, you know, it has to happen this way. And that's what kept him going. That's what allowed him to maintain an apostolic posture. That's what uh, that helped him to maintain an apostolic mind because he kept that, that end game. It was top of the mind, you know? And so I believe that there is power in in planning having goals living life intentionally because when you go through seasons of life and when things happen when circumstances change when people come in and out of your life when when things aren't you know aren't happening the way that you imagined it to happen that that you're able to see the end game for your life like you know god told me this was going to happen and I'm going to keep working towards that. I'm going to keep moving forward, even though I don't, I don't see something happening for me right now, or I don't see something happening the way that it was supposed to. I'm going to keep moving forward. And I believe that these past few weeks learning about the apostolic is a push for us to keep moving forward. Um, despite what's going on despite what we see in the world but it's it's just a reminder that that God doesn't fail that God does not fail that that we he's already won keep going keep pushing keep moving forward and and to not allow what we see to take precedence over what God's word is and so that's my encouragement for you guys tonight um I was really blessed by by going to the ark and and it just reminded me of the teachings, you know, just being able to see it in in real life. It just really reminded me of the teachings and it brought to life what it means to be apostolic. The ark was a representation of what it means to be to be apostolic to, um, to me. And so I hope this teaching, bless you guys. I do want to open up the floor so we can have a discussion. Um, I would love to hear from each of you to, you know, what what does that, what does being apostolic look like in your life? Not just, you know, what we've read and what we've talked about, but for you, how how are we moving forward? How are, are we moving forward apostolically? Have we, have we waited? Have we been waiting on a cloud? Have we been waiting on a wind? If you're waiting on the wind, let this be your wind. If you're waiting on the word, let this be your word right now to to move forward and and to keep going. So I do want to hear from you guys. Um, And the floor is open. And I hope you guys were encouraged.